0: I like when we do this greeting time, it's always hard for whoever gets up after it, but um, it shows me that we have life. It shows me that we enjoy each other. It shows me that um, if someone was to come in by themselves and try to, you know, slink into the back row, they would be seen and they would be acknowledged, and that's the heart of God. So good job, you guys. Good job being friendly. So today, we're going to be talking about loving others and loving others by loving wisdom. Now, this, this last week, I think especially, but there are times when I am just in awe of what God invites us into. I'm in awe of the way that he will trust us with situations, he trusts us with our money, he trusts us with our time, he entrusts us with people. People in our, in our families, our friendships, the people at our work, the people in our classes. And more and more I've just been feeling like, man, that is not very smart of God to do that. I was talking with a friend this week of of just, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be becoming transformed every single day. You should be year after year. doesn't mean we don't struggle, but year after year looking more and more like him until the day we die. And then talking about that, though, made me realize just how far... I have personally come, or how far Pete has come. Because we used to joke around, like, why would God entrust us (laughs) with leading all of you? And so I was thinking of, of being a young adult and just some of the really dumb things we did, the really immature things we did. And that was like, you know, 21, early 20s. Then I started thinking back to our 30s, and I was remembering how, man, we were trying to walk in wisdom and maturity, but we were really judgmental. We probably had a ton of pride in our hearts, and I just became grateful. (laughs) I became grateful because we loved God. I know we loved God back then, and we were doing our best, but man, we were immature, and we were unloving or prideful at times. But I thank God that he loves us to maturity. He loves us through transformation. And I will talk sometimes with people when we're talking maybe about marriage and Pete and I, it's a good thing to have no shame. No shame. No shame that whenever we are struggling, we would go to somebody and say, help us. We would call someone late at night we don't want to go to bed mad, but we can't figure this out. And they're like, I think you guys could just go to bed, but we'll meet with you tomorrow. (laughs) But we had no shame in in going to people and asking for help. And so I, I was thinking about that, that, you know, God's grace, his love is there for us, but how we respond to his grace that he lavishes on us matters. It's just a testament to me to think of how... God doesn't give up on us when others do. Because if you knew Pete and I 20 years ago, you would never in a million years think God's going to trust them with leading his sons and daughters. But we should always be growing in our love for God. We should always be growing in maturity and wisdom. Always be growing in our love for others. So at City Harvest, you've probably been hearing this a lot lately, but our desire, our vision is to become a people that live out our identity in Christ and our purposes in Christ. That doesn't mean we just discover our identity or we just discover our purpose. That doesn't mean we just talk about it. This is who I am in Christ. This is who he made me to be. We don't just talk about these are the things he's called me to do. We walk it out every day. The more he shows us, the more we walk out. The more he shows us, the more we obey. The more he shows us, the more we live it out. And we do this by being with God. We do this with going with Jesus on mission. We do this daily by walking by the Spirit. And we do this by loving others. So how do we love others? We love others the way the Father has loved us, radically and wholeheartedly. So knowing that God loves you is the starting point. But Jesus said that all of Scripture could be summed up in two things. Loving him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and loving others, loving our neighbors as ourselves, And I thought it was great the way last week Bob had his table up here and his chair for his illustration, and he kind of pokes some holes really humorously in this idea that how we have a relationship with God is just us. In our favorite chair, with our candle lit, with our warm cup of coffee or tea, and with our journal open, just waiting, you know, and with the Bible open and reading it, and just waiting for God to give us a download, waiting for God to give us a revelation so we can, you know, feel spiritual. And he said, it's not, you know, doing those things is not bad. He does all those things. But we aren't just supposed to love God and have our devotions with God and have our quiet time with God. That's the easier part. That's where it starts. But loving others like the Father has loved us, that is what is supposed to define Christianity. That is what is supposed to mark us as followers of Jesus, our love for one another. That's the hard part. Can I get an amen? (laughs) So how are wisdom and loving others connected? And I just want to start by reading in one of my very favorite books of the Bible. If I ever just need, you know, a little slap upside the head, I go straight to James. So go ahead and open your Bibles to James, or if you have the, you know, Bible app on your phone, it doesn't really matter what version you have. There's one version up here on the screen, and I'm actually going to be reading another one. So um, just turn to James 3. If you have, uh, you know, they they break scripture up into chapters and verses and headings, and um, that's not the way that the Bible was originally written. But if you're in this section of James 3, verse 1, it says, The power of the tongue, and then the last part is titled, True Wisdom. So, let's read it together. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. For we all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect individual, able to control the entire body as well. And if we put bits into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, then we guide their entire bodies. Look at ships, too. Though they are so large and driven by harsh winds, they are steered by a tiny rudder wherever the pilot's inclination directs. So, too, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions. Think how small a flame sets a huge forest ablaze. If you were here, living here a few years ago, there was the fire that ripped through the Columbia Gorge, started by a small flame. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body, oh, oops, sorry, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the entire body and sets fire to the course of human existence and is set on fire by hell. This is getting really depressing, but this is why I love James. Just tells it like it is. That's the kind of friend we all need, someone who tells it like it is. For every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and sea creature is subdued and has been subdued by humankind. But no human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father and with it, we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be so, brothers and sisters. A spring doesn't pour out fresh water and bitter water come from the same opening, does it? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a vine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring produce fresh water. So, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, he should show his works done in the gentleness that wisdom brings. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfishness in your hearts, do not boast and tell lies against the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic, For where there is jealousy and selfishness, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and not hypocritical. And the fruit that consists of righteousness is planted in peace among those who make peace. Amen. (laughs) It's hard to love others well if we allow insecurity to have a foothold in our hearts. It's hard to love others well if bitter and resentful thoughts make a home in our minds and we make it nice and cozy for them to stay there. It's hard to love others well when we express our emotions, which emotions are indicators, right? They're saying something's wrong. That's not a bad thing. But if we express our emotions in immature ways that hurt other people, it's hard to love them well. If we allow our words to tear people down instead of build them up, it's really hard to love them well. So... I believe that the pathway to loving others well is to love wisdom. We need the wisdom of God to love other people well. And this is not like James was saying, this is an an earthly wisdom. It's not just common sense. Although there is a lot of common sense and wisdom, but this is a different kind of wisdom. It's the wisdom from heaven. It's the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And it's often wisdom that seems really foolish because it's birthed out of the gospel. It's wisdom that says, forgive others. You know, God forgave you, so you forgive others freely. It's wisdom that says, God showed you mercy, not just one time when we gave our lives to him. God shows you mercy continually. What, that's, that's what you don't deserve, so show mercy to others. It says, Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and to lay his life down, so you do that too. That's the wisdom of the kingdom of heaven, and it seems foolish at first. So... You know me, I love definitions, so wise, the definition of wise, I've used the wisdom a ton of times, but if you don't know (laughs) what it means, I I like definitions because they, they give a fuller picture of maybe a word that we use all the time, and maybe we have an idea of what it means. Wise means you're marked by deep understanding, not shallow understanding, deep understanding. It means you're marked by discernment, keen discernment. You can discern what's going on and you have a capacity for sound judgment. Wisdom is the ability to discern inner qualities in other people and in yourself and relationships. It's the soundness of an action or a decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. This is my favorite part though. Wisdom is not apathetic and wisdom is not lethargic. Wisdom is knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with just judgment as to action. So wisdom doesn't just sit still on a mountain somewhere, waiting for people to come to them to express you know, itself and to, and to share this knowledge. No, wisdom acts rightly. In the Bible, there's there's a lot that the Bible has to say about wisdom, but maybe one of the most well-known stories is of King Solomon. So that's David's son becomes the king, and God says to him, I will give you whatever you want, a blank check, and Solomon asks for wisdom. Now, of course, maybe the part that we focus on is, and then because he asked for wisdom, God gave him all the wealth too. He was a very wealthy man. He built the temple and, and you know his, his wealth was well known. It was, he was famous for it. But he asked for wisdom first. Proverbs is a whole entire book dedicated to wisdom. One of my favorite books, um, things about it, though, is that it keeps going back to something. It's talking about wisdom, and it keeps going back to this this saying that is just reinforced throughout the whole book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, in Proverbs 9, it talks about these two banquets, these two tables that we are all invited to. They both, there's one for wisdom, a banquet for wisdom, a table for wisdom, and a banquet for folly. And we're all invited to both. It's almost like they're both kind of vying for our attention and our affection. And they want us to come sit right here. But the warning is to choose wisdom's table over folly's table. Daniel is a whole book. There's a lot of revelation and prophecy in there. A whole book, though, that really really hits home the point that if we have wisdom, God's wisdom, the wisdom of heaven, he will put us in places of influence that actually give us a place to speak wisdom to people who don't even know God. And then the letters to the churches at the end of the New Testament, there's a lot of contrast between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. But one of the things that I think is so exciting is that the Bible says again and again, Ask for wisdom. Get wisdom. Ask for it. Get it at any cost. And when you ask, God will give it to you. So, if we go back to James, in James uh, chapter 1, 2 through 8, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. There's James just slapping us upside the head again. Because you know, hopefully you know, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So many times we do this. We're in the hot, we're in the fire, we're in the hot seat, we're in a trial, we're in a temptation, and we're like, take it away, God, take it away. And he's like, persevere because I'm trying to work maturity in you. Stay still because I'm trying to make sure that you're complete through this process, that you're not lacking anything. Then verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. I've heard this scripture used a lot of times, you know, in relation to when God or or Jesus told his disciples to ask for things and it would be given to them. But here he's talking about wisdom But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Thank you, James. (laughs) We appreciate your bluntness. So when we ask God for wisdom, let's believe that he's going to give it to us generously. But it starts with asking. So I have some really practical principles in how to love others and how to do it in a way that uses the wisdom of heaven, not earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom says somebody doesn't do something for you, you don't do something for them, right? That's common sense. You've got you to have your boundaries. you got to make sure that you don't get taken advantage of. But the wisdom of God tells us in relationships to seek out his thoughts towards others. Seek out God's thoughts about your spouse. Seek out God's thoughts about your kids or your parents or your friends, your boss, your coworkers, your teachers. If you are a student, ask God, what do you have to say about my teachers? What do you think about them? And he'll share those things with us. If we ask him, how do you see this person? He'll tell us, Do it proactively. So do it all the time, but especially do it when you have a hard time with somebody. That's more of a reactive kind of thing. But when someone annoys you or offends you, when someone makes a mistake or messes up, ask God how he sees that person first. So in the spirit of James, we're just going to go through these bullet points and I'm just going to, you know, be very blunt. Um, Number one, stop. Stop gossiping. Just stop. I do it. We all do it. I was so convicted by things that came out of my mouth this week, not with ill intent. I'm not talking about when you're, you're so excited about that juicy piece of news and you can't wait to tell someone. We all know that's wrong. I'm talking about the things where something just slips out and you're like, I should not have shared that. Stop sharing about other people's brokenness. Stop share about your own brokenness, share vulnerably about, man, here's where I messed up. Here's how God is loving me through my mess. Here's how God has already redeemed part of me out of this mess. Here's how I was five years ago. And thank you, God, that I am not that same person today. Stop talking about others and start talking about what God's doing in you. So, I mean, it shouldn't have to be said, but if information is not relevant, if it 's not accurate, if it 's not helpful to share it it 's probably not wise to do it so if you 're not one hundred percent sure that it 's true, don't share it and This is something that I feel so strongly it doesn 't matter whether you're ten and you are on like say a school app like seesaw or whether you're you know seventy and you love Facebook. Don't share things that aren't true. Fact-checking, you know, gets a bad rap because it, you know, doesn't always mean fact-checking. But make sure, maybe take a second, pause before you reshare something that is just going to stir someone else up. Even if it's true. Ask God, would this be helpful to share this? Is this what you would want me to do? So whether they're words coming out of our mouth or things we're sharing on social media, let's be a people that use wisdom. Okay, number two, stop doing the enemy's work for him and start honoring people with your words. Basically, stop slandering. (laughs) So many times we will bring an unjust accusation against someone else. And in that moment, one of the enemy's names, the devil's names is the accuser. He loves to accuse. That is his nature. He loves to accuse us when we mess up. What? Why did you even try that? Didn't you know you were going to fail? Why did you think that this situation would be any different than all the other times? You know you're rejected, Why would you try to have a relationship with that person? Why would you try to start that business? The enemy loves to accuse us. It's what he does. But sometimes we do his work for him. And we, with our mouths, will accuse others. Now, it's okay to be honest about people's imperfections. So if someone comes to me and they're like, I text, this is one I get all the time, family members, friends, everybody. I texted Pete, still waiting to hear back from him. Maybe you tell your husband, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could tell your husband to get back to me. I'm like, well, when he starts getting back to me, then I'll let him know that he needs to get back to you. <laughs> I'm not very good at always texting people back either. Be honest about people's imperfections But know that you can still honor them as you acknowledge that they're not perfect. So if someone comes to me and they have an issue with somebody and they're like, this person is doing this, I'm like, "Mm, I know they're not very good at that. But you know what? I know them better than you. And I know where their heart is at. Can I share with you what kind of maybe miscommunication I think is going on? And then I encourage the person to actually believe the best about the person that's frustrating them and maybe even like try to talk to them about it. Novel idea, yeah. Stop trying to cast doubt in somebody else's mind about somebody else. We do this not always out of ill intent. We do it because we're insecure. We've got insecure parts in our hearts, these little cracks and crevices. And so we'll try to cast doubt in somebody else's mind. "Mm, Yeah, well, maybe they're like that with you, but, you know, they're not like that with me. There's a lot of times when we'll go to somebody else and we'll vent about something. But we're not actually going to the person who can help us. We're not actually going to a person that has answers. And we're not actually going to a person who's going to send us to God and send us back to that other person. Stop slandering. I'm sorry if you're like new and you're like, what is going on in this church that they have to bring this message? Uh, Guys, this is just just daily life. Nothing's going on. And if you're like, oh, no, no, I told her about that thing, that issue I was having with that person. No, this is just, we need this message. We all need it. I need it. We need this message. But we need to live it out. We need to live it out because this is crucial. This is how other people know that God is real. So we have to do this. We have to do this. So if you are here and you've been here for more than even, you know, a couple minutes, you walked through the door, you possibly got offended with somebody. You've been here for 25 years. Like the rest of us, you've really gotten offended during that time. (laughs) If it hasn't happened yet, it will. But here's the thing, we believe that this community of people is who God is using to shape us and to form us to become more like him. So you don't have to get excited when somebody hurts you, you don't have to get excited when somebody offends you, but you can go, oh, God, you always have something up your sleeve. You're using this to make me more like you. Okay, how do you want me to respond? Okay, God uses our brokenness and he will use other people's brokenness okay, to invite us to become more whole and healed. Every time something triggers you, you have an opportunity there to learn about a place inside of you that God wants to heal. So, when, not if, when, you might be in this place right now. When you carry an offense against somebody else, when you have judgment in your heart, towards somebody else, there's some really practical things you can do. Number one is first vent to God. Once again, really novel idea there. God, I'm so frustrated with this person. I just don't understand. That, that interaction left me really kind of confused. I mean, I don't know what their motive was. And you vomit. God can handle your emotional vomit. Other people might not be able to. But God can vomit, okay? Emotional vomit. Get it all out and then say, okay, God. (sighs) So, what's the truth? What are the lies that I'm believing? What are the things going on inside of me? Would you search my heart first before I get all worked up about this other person? Would you search my heart first and show me where I have a log in my own eye and I'm so focused on that speck in someone else's eye? Vent to him first, and then sit there and let him hold up a mirror. It's a very loving mirror, but let him hold up a mirror to your own heart. A lot of that is just sometimes identifying the emotions that come up with the offense. If you've done counseling, you know that's what so much of it is. What did you feel? Can you even identify what you were feeling in that situation? (laughs) And I feel like they're a jerk. Nope, that's not a feeling. A feeling is I felt rejected or I felt invalidated or I felt betrayed. Not I feel like they're a jerk. Okay. Then you've let God search your heart. You've emotionally vomited all over him and he's cleaning you up and cleaning himself up. And, and you feel kind of good. And then you ask God if you should talk to the person. That's a huge one, guys. How You should talk to the person when you should talk to the person. I know this is so hard. You're like, well, can we just get to the part where I get to be mad at the person? No, because there are times when God will deal with something in your own heart and you are not supposed to go to that other person. You are not supposed to go to them and say, you know, I was so offended with you, but God told me to forgive you. (laughs) And I just want you to know you're forgiven. You feel so good about yourself. And now that other person's like, I didn't even know I did anything wrong. And oh, how, how gracious and noble of you to forgive me. Like, sometimes God just wants you to deal with it in your own heart. Never mention it to the person. Bridge under the water. But often God will lead you to repent. He will lead you to, to repent for the sin in your own heart. And then he might ask you to have a conversation with somebody. Now, the goal of any conversation is not to tell them you've forgiven them, and it is not to get them to know how wrong they are. The goal of a conversation would be redemption. This is why when someone has really hurt you or abused you, you can forgive them and you never have to talk to them again. Maybe you might, but you don't have to let them back into your life if they aren't trustworthy. But forgiveness is a heart issue. And so if God actually leads you to go talk to somebody, the the part that we should be focusing on is the redemption of a, a lost or a missed connection point. Ask God, this is huge, to show you how he sees the person and to pray for their blessing. Ask that before you ever go to them. Then, if the Holy Spirit leads you to directly talk to the person and you have done all that work, go ahead and talk to them. Ask God for insight as you're talking to them. And then when it's over, pray for their blessing again. Regardless of how it goes, you might need a follow-up conversation, but release them to God. I will say, if you decide that you know you need to vent to somebody else, we are human, God made us for connection, and part of relationship is being able to share your hurts, your frustrations with someone else, whether that's a marriage, a friendship, um, parent, kid, whatever. But if you vent to another person, choose wisely who you vent to. Vent to a friend who knows you knows your heart, loves you no matter how ugly you are with them, but that uses wisdom, a friend that is wise, a friend that is loving, a friend that will encourage you to go to that person, a friend that will encourage you to pray for that person, a friend who might even be like, "Mm, I actually kind of see where you're doing something in this situation. Can we talk about that instead? But then if you vent to another person, This is the hard part. Make sure you go back and tell them how God redeemed the situation. Go back and tell them, this is what God showed me was in my own heart. So then I was praying for this person before I met with them. And then when I was meeting with them, God showed me like, oh my gosh, he loves them so much. And I just said, you know what? God's just convicting me right now that I don't love you nearly as much as he loves you. And, you know, I think we're good. (laughs) But whatever the redemption looks like, go back and tell someone that you talk to because a lot of times we just emotionally vomit on a bunch of other people and then we don't go back and say, oh, actually, I was just having a really bad day and that person and I are good now. We're totally good. This will limit who you vent to and it will hold you accountable. So the common theme here on how to love others is to ask God for wisdom. And how to love others. Because when we love wisdom, we'll love people well. And wise people that love other people well are peacemakers. There's um, several different versions here. But James 3.18 is one of my favorite verses. The NLT says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. James 3.18 in the Amplified says, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness, spiritual maturity, is sown in peace by those who make peace by actively encouraging goodwill between individuals. James uh, 3.18 in the CSB says, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So, are you a peacemaker or are you petty? Do you, are you a peacemaker or are you a peacekeeper where you just try to keep the in relationships, in your life? You just, we just don't want anything to come up to the surface. What's your reputation in relationships? And here's a hint it's not what you think it is. <laughs> a reputation that you can ask other people What's my reputation? Are you sowing seeds of peace? With your words, goodwill, or are you sowing seeds of division? When a friend comes with you and they have an irritation with somebody else, do you encourage them to pray blessing over that person? Do you encourage them to go talk to that person? So what's the harvest of your inner thought life look like? What does the harvest of the state of your heart look like? What's the harvest in your relationships look like? Like I said, this is not like, oh, she I know what went on in her life this week and this is why she's. Here's the thing, so many of us are walking in foolishness in relationships. We just are. And I'm including myself in that. So we're not only not walking in wisdom, but we're not even asking for it. Or if we ask for it and God gives us to it, gives it to us, we don't use it. But here's the thing, wisdom costs us something. It will cost you something. Because if you want wisdom, and Proverbs tells us, get wisdom at any cost. If you want wisdom, you have to give up pride. It's not really a fair trade in a lot of ways because these are things we hold so dearly, but wisdom is something of great value. So it's not fair that we have to lay down our pride and God would give us something so great. We have to give up our selfishness. We have to give up our insecurity. We have to give up our jealousy. We have to give up envy. Sometimes, a lot of times with wisdom, we have to give up our own goals and ambitions. And as we lay those things down, God's like, you asked for it. I can tell you mean it. You're not double-minded. You're willing to lay all those things down. Here is wisdom for your situation. Here is wisdom from heaven. I want to say before we we end here don't wait until you're old to gain wisdom this is not a message for the gray haired ones in here do not wait to get wisdom because there are a lot of really foolish old people and there are a lot of incredibly wise young people the reason you don't wait to get wisdom until you're older is we don't know how much time we have and I was just feeling this so strongly. We don't know how much time we have left to live on this earth. Psalm ninety twelve says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. When we have the end in mind, we can work our way back. And we can ask God for wisdom on how to live each day. What do we need to do today? Pete and I talk about death a lot. I actually, I I feel bad, but sometimes I'm like, I enjoy going to funerals more than I enjoy going to weddings sometimes. Please still invite me to your weddings. But there is something about seeing the impact that someone had on people's lives. So what do you want said about you at your funeral? I want people to say that I loved God well. Yes, she loved Jesus. That was awesome. I want them to say too, though, I loved people well. And not just my people in my circle, not just my family, people, all the people. This, li- this last week, I was listening to a podcast about an author who wrote out his own eulogy, which typically eulogies are, you know, they did this, and it talks about all your accomplishments. He wrote out his own, meaning what he would want people to say about him when he dies, and he reads it every morning because it helps him make choices that day that reflect who he hopes to be when he dies. What do you want your legacy to be? Sorry, we went from like James slapping aside the head to death, but here's where we are. What do you want people to say about you? Will they remember how well you loved? Will they say that your life was marked with wisdom? Will they say, man, they loved God's children radically and wholeheartedly? How we talk about others needs to be tamed by the Holy Spirit. It needs to be purified. It needs to be refined. How we respond when we're hurt or we're offended, it needs to be transformed by the wisdom of God. How we steward relationships, whether you like those relationships God gave you or not. So it's with the people that we love dearly and the people we find so hard to love. That is what we'll be known by. Let's ask God for wisdom today. Let's ask him to make us like him so that we can love others so that people know God is real because look at how they love one another. Look at how they do relationships with one another. God doesn't just invite me into things and entrust me with people. He's invited you into things. He's entrusted you with people. Are you stewarding those relationships well?